2: So as we get set to turn the calendar to 2022, we want to take a look at the market technically and some of the big macro trends that we could potentially exploit heading into the new year. I'm Andy Gersher. This is Gaines. We're turning the calendar to a new year, and we want to talk about where markets are fundamentally, how things are shaping up going into the new year, and some key macro trends that we could potentially exploit to get some big-time gains. So we're bringing on Jim Welsh, a regular on the Gains Podcast. Jim is macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego, California. Of course, his website, macrotides.com. Jim, always great to have you on the Gains Podcast.
3: Well, it's great to be here, Andy. I want to wish uh, you and everyone uh, who listens uh, a happy and maybe more importantly, a healthy uh, 2022, and we'll do our best to try to navigate the twists and turns.
2: And hopefully, it'll be uh, not only a healthy, but a wealthy 2022. <laughs> and that's why I bring you on, Jim, uh, oh. is is to help us uh, get wealthy in 2022. So I guess to start things off here, as 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 mentioned, we turn the uh, page on the calendar. We head into a new year. Uh, You and I have talked about this, you know, how things would be shaping up before. But uh, for those folks who are, uh, you know, just joining us, kind of give them uh, the background of where you're seeing things right now. Monetary policy, we recently did a a, a couple weeks back on the Fed. That's a big factor, still a factor for you going into 2022. So Fed policy and some other things. But, uh, you know, set the stage here as we, uh, uh, you know, right before we hit New Year's Eve
3: okay well, one thing just from a general overview, Andy, as you know, I try to combine fundamental analysis with technical analysis and I think the outlook for treasury yields uh, in the first half of 2022 will prove to be kind of a, a case test uh, from a standpoint that the everyone is focused on the Fed and kind of accepting that the Fed is scaling back its purchases and will likely raise the federal funds rate three times next year. And so far, you know, the markets have been pretty nonplussed by that change in monetary policy. But the one thing that I think they're not really paying much attention to is how treasury yields have remained low over the last six months. Everyone knows that. But I don't think I don't hear anybody talking about why that has happened. And instead, what we hear often is that the bond market is telling me something, you know, type of narrative. And with yields staying down with the 10 year staying down at one and a half, the bond market is telling me that inflation isn't going to be a problem. Well, first of all, inflation has gone up, uh, you know, from the 2% range to 6%. uh, And so inflation is a problem, and will continue to be a problem. So to me, that narrative is kind of, you know, uh, just out of touch with reality. Um, The key point, I think, and you you and I have talked about this, I write about it in my letter, is that the Fed is scaling down its purchases. Everybody understands that and knows that by uh, March, I believe, they'll be done with all their quantitative easing in terms of buying uh, Treasury paper. What most people don't know and and I don't hear anybody on CNBC or other people that I read talk about is in March the Treasury had $1.6 trillion of cash sitting with the Fed. And so as it was Sending out and paying for programs uh, from March going forward, it was just running down its balance at the Fed. Uh, Then at the end of July, Congress didn't pass or increase the debt ceiling, which meant that the Treasury couldn't issue new paper. So we've had this huge imbalance between the the Treasury issuing paper until the end of July, but the Fed virtually absorbing all of that paper, which is really what has kept Treasury yields down. And the Treasury since July 31st hasn't issued any new paper. That's all going to change when we get in the first quarter. The Treasury is going to ramp up its borrowing to about seven or eight hundred billion in the first quarter. At the same time, the Fed is really winding down its purchases. So I think what people aren't paying attention to is we're going to see a huge shift in the Treasury market in terms of the supply-demand balance, which has been very supportive, is the main reason why the ten-year stayed at one and a half. But I think once this thing flips, we're going to see the uh, the 10-year Treasury yield jump above the high from last March at 176 and I think make a run at 2%. And I think that's one of the things that the markets place is not really paying attention to. They're prepared for the Fed changing policy, but I don't think anyone is really focused on the potential that the 10-year Treasury yield could jump 50 basis points in a very short period of time.
2: That's interesting because – Everybody has had their eye on the Fed. I haven't heard a lot of chatter about the Treasury uh, yields and, and how that all, or what you just talked about, how that's going to play out. Um, as far as the gains listener and the play, we've talked about going with a Treasury yield ETF. Talk about yep. the play that you would make here.
3: Yeah. So, what I'm that. waiting for, Andy, from a technical standpoint, is Treasury yields bottomed in August, bounced up. The 10 year was down at 112, bounced up to 169, dipped to I think about 134, and it's hovering uh, today's close was at 148. If it closes above 153 and the 30 year Treasury closes above 194, um, to me, technically, those represent breakout levels where the yields are going to continue to move higher. And the uh, Treasury inverse ETF. Uh, The symbol is TBF, Tom, Boy, Frank. And if Treasury yields go up, Treasury prices will go down. And so this inverse uh, Treasury ETF will gain in value um, if this all plays out. Today, that uh, ETF closed at $16.03. So to me, this is the potential uh, that over the next three months or so, I think at a minimum, the 30 year is going to go back to 2.5%, which was its high last March. And just for the record, TBF back in March traded as high as 1849. So um, that is the upside potential, I think, Andy, is if Treasury yields move the way I expect them to, uh, that I think could be a pretty nice trade. Uh, Hey, hey, real
2: quick, Jim, on that TBF, is that a single or a leveraged?
3: uh, Uh, It's a good question always. Uh, It is a single, one-to-one. Okay. So there's no leverage. Therefore, you don't get any decay that happens with the two-to-one and three-to-one ETFs over time. So uh, if the the 30-year treasury yield jumps to two-and-a-half or higher, uh, this thing should rally. TBF should rally above 18 and make a run toward the 1849 high uh, from last March.
2: Is it the 30 year that, what does it track? It tracks the 30 year.
3: Yeah. It's kind of like the inverse, to TLT. Okay. And I think the TLT has an average maturity of about 27 years. So not precisely 30, but, you know, awfully close. And it pretty much TLT as does TBF pretty much mirror what's going on. With uh, the thirty-year Treasury yield,
2: give that yield number. You said one fifty-three
3: on the ten-year. On the ten-year, one ninety-four on the thirty-year.
2: If if so, yeah. if you if you break if we see a breakout on the thirty, and you said the ten-year beyond those levels, that's going to show, or there should be momentum for further move to the upside on the yield. hmm Which is, and then you're playing the inverse, so. Then yeah. you would play TBF once Correct. it breaches those, and, Correct. and 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 just again explain w- what what the rationale is once you see that breakout, why it would move much higher.
3: You know, if you saw well, uh, uh,
2: go past one fifty three for the ten year and, and so forth.
3: Yeah, well, there's two things. A, we discussed already the supply demand equation, which is going to change rather dramatically. The other thing that's going to happen is inflation is going to continue to get worse in the first two months of 2022. Uh, so there's not going to be any relief on that. And then in the second quarter, I do think the headline inflation numbers are going to come down just based on year-over-year calculations. But the core rate, which is kind of what the Fed pays more attention to, uh, the core rate of inflation isn't going to come down as much because the shelter, which relates to uh, house prices, and rents, uh, which is about a third of the core CPI. Um, and The other big shift is going to take place, Andy, in 2020, the second half of 2020 and a lot of this year of 2021, consumers were buying a lot of stuff. So goods inflation really took off. Service inflation was kind of held in check because a lot of services are based on people being face-to-face. I think COVID is going to recede uh, like last year, by the end of January, um, the COVID cases started to drop very quickly. I think the same thing is going to happen. And we already know based on data coming out of South Korea or South Africa, pardon me, in Britain that far fewer hospitalizations uh, happen with Omicron versus Delta. And so one I, little thing that we've just yeah.
2: discovered just to pick up on that. If, if you've uh, been infected by the variant, It protects you. We just got word that uh, those folks then are protected against the Delta and some of these other forms of COVID.
3: Yes. I mean, there's no question that if you have had all three shots, your body has antibodies and also some T cells. We also know that when people... You know, I mean, even, even if those,
2: even those who've gotten it and weren't vaccinated have the natural antibodies, you right. start bringing all or those numbers together. And it kind of seems like, I, I you know, it, it, you know, it's hard to to especially at this point in the year, it's a very light week of trading. Right. But it seems to me that the market is starting to price Covid into next year maybe subsiding a little bit. Just from what I'm seeing, I think
3: so. I mean, looking at the data out of uh, England, uh, the number of cases in England are double what they were January of last year. Uh, The number of deaths are down by over ninety percent. So there's no question. And a Hong Kong study found that the Omicron virus uh, goes into the lungs at a rate of about ten percent relative to Delta. So the net result is far fewer people are getting pneumonia and other you know, serious health issues with this version of COVID relative to, to Delta. Therefore, less people need to be hospitalized. Those who do go to the hospital are in for much shorter stays. So I, I think that is another plus. But if we turn it around a little bit, there also is the realization that as that recedes, uh, the consumer is in great shape. Uh, wages are up the most they've been in probably at least a decade. Uh, With all the government transfers that went out over the last 18 months, consumers are sitting on more than $2 trillion worth of savings. And that money is going to get spent over time. Um, So I think the economy is going to be in good shape. To the extent that COVID and the Omicron really fades quickly in the first part of next year, that's going to be another, I think, a good plus for the economy, but it also uh, puts more pressure on the Federal Reserve in terms of, okay, COVID didn't slow it down or Omicron didn't slow the economy down that much. We're going to see a rebound. And that just puts more heat on them because, as I said, the inflation numbers are going to get worse in January and February. And um, I think the markets haven't fully gotten to that. So, in terms of treasury yields, that's the other part of the equation is that people start to think, wait a second, the Fed is behind the curve. And it's one thing for the Fed to raise, you know, the uh, F- uh, Fed funds rate three times over nine months. But if the market starts to think that they may do it in six months, that's a different ball game, And I just think there's the potential that uh, the treasury market is just gonna wanna get out ahead of all this. And technically, um, if it break out above the levels we've discussed, and then obviously breaking out above the highs from last March, 176 on the 10-year, 250 on the 30-year, that just adds more technical evidence uh, and power behind the move. And I think that's you know pretty likely to happen. So it's com- combining the fundamental with the technical, and I think that's a good setup for a trade.
2: Yeah, we, so we talked Treasury yields and – the covid variants and and how that's played and obviously fed policy we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back we'll talk about uh where the markets are uh technically where where we're seeing things on the chart where jim's seeing things on the chart uh hey real quick be sure to subscribe follow leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts if that's an option for you You'll really be doing us a solid there, and then as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. We'll be right back with uh, Jim Welsh uh, on the other side of the break.
0: His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt, Hi-ya! and even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. Hi-ya!
1: Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
2: All right, back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. Uh, Jim often has some other sites and options that would benefit the gains Listener, uh, what are they, Jim:
3: Andy uh, listeners can check out my website at macrotides.com and there's information there available for uh, I think just about every listener. Uh, secondly, I do a weekly technical review and a monthly macro tides. The macro tides issues are fundamentally orientated. The weekly technical review, as the name implies, is much more focused on the technical side of the equation. Uh, I think as we discussed earlier, the treasury market is uh, nearing a an important inflection point, and I think the stock market is going to be doing the same. So I'm going to offer all listeners: if you send me an email to Jim Welsh, W E L S H Macro at Gmail, I'll send you next week's weekly technical review, and you'll get a taste for you know what I'm doing, and I think uh, of the value I provide.
2: Email Jim, like you just mentioned, and get that information. That's really really good info to have going into the new year. And you can kind of see uh, what Jim's talking about in, in in even further detail. So, okay, as we move to where the markets are shaping up technically, Jim, this is a, you know, we've talked about some fundamentals in the treasury, and yep. fed policy and, and where COVID is in this from a straight technical and if folks Get a pen and paper out here because we're going to talk about some key levels, and you definitely want to kind of write them down. Yeah. Um, so, Jim, where where are we technically going into 2022?
3: Okay, as you know, I look at price patterns uh, in the S and P 500 to provide some clues in terms of what the likely path may be in the coming weeks. And I think we did a podcast around Thanksgiving or so. I was looking for a pullback towards uh, 4550. The S&P pulled back just under 4,500. Then the expectation was that we would see the S&P rally to 4,800 and potentially 4,900. Obviously, the S&P got to 4,800 today. Very short term, I think the S&P can pull back to about 4,720 or so, Uh, and then I see the we're going to have another rally that takes the S&P above comfortably above 4,800. Um, the one level that would concern me in terms of what would start to change this outlook would be if the S&P 500 got below 46.75. So a modest pullback that holds above 46.75, I think it'll hold above 4,700, and then a rally to new all-time highs. Um, But what I'm really on the lookout, Andy, is what's happening is the uh, broad market is still lagging behind what the S&P is doing. So on the surface, it looks terrific. Gee, new all-time highs, uh, 69 of them in 2021. But if you look at things like the advanced decline line, the percentage of stocks above their 200-day average, the S&P made a new all-time high yesterday, and only 43% of all the stocks on the New York Stock Exchange were above their 200-day average. So that, to me, suggests that under the surface, there is some serious weakness um, that doesn't appear to have been addressed by this recent rally. So my expectation was, you know, over the last month, get a rally to 48, 4900, and then a decline of 10 to 15 percent is likely, uh, I think, to kick in either late in the first quarter, early the second quarter. Um, and again, I think the trigger very <clears> well <throat> may be the a sharp increase in treasury yields. Everyone's copacetic with the Fed raising rates and so forth. Um, but if yields start to tick higher and inflation is uh, worse in January and February, um, you know, as I said before, it isn't so much how what levels things do. So the 10 year can go from 150 to 2 percent. If it takes ten, six months to do it, it's no big deal. If it doesn't in six weeks. The market is going to pay attention. Plus, a lot of valuation metrics use the 10 year and they can say, well, look at at 1.5%, we can support a 22 PE ratio. Well, all of a sudden you get to 2%, you got to discount it from 22 to something less, maybe down to 18. That's how you can get a 10 to 15% correction based on valuations tied to the 10-year treasury yield. And if it does you know increase toward 2% or higher. I think that could be the trigger that causes the market to sell off. And again, uh, underneath the surface, the market isn't as healthy as maybe just the headlines are showing. Hey, a new all-time high in the S and P 500. Is that surface, why? That's why.
2: Weakness. Why it makes sense to look at things like the Russell and mm-hmm. and some of the broader indexes. Um, explain what you're seeing on or what you're seeing going on in the Russell 2000. Which is a broader basket of stocks
3: yes, um, well, the Russell 2000 uh, made its high of about twenty three um, uh, pardon me in November it was twenty four fifty eight and today it closed at twenty two forty six so it's you know about two hundred points <laughs> below where it was in <clears throat> in November that's actually and-
2: hiding behind that's that's an example of yes. what you were just speaking to of like uh, the, these other indexes kind of hiding underneath the headlines.
3: Yes, and it you know, just doesn't get the kind of attention, obviously, that the S&P does. Um, so that kind of divergence, and I can you know, look at the New York composite, the value line composite, as I mentioned, the advanced decline line, and the percentage of stocks above the 200-day average. Last February, Andy, when the market was making new all-time highs, 92% of all the New York Stock Exchange stocks we're above their 200-day average. We're at 42, even though the S&P is higher. So those are the signs that under the surface, things aren't quite as strong as it looks. And what that means is if a reason to sell shows up, uh, the market is more vulnerable to a 10 to 15% correction. In February, when it was 92% of the stocks above their 200-day average, you could get a piece of bad news and the market might pull back 3 or 4%. Why? Because it just was in a much stronger technical position than it is today. So, again, I think the market is vulnerable sometime in the first, late the first quarter, early second quarter, for us to see a a 10 to 15% correction. Um, And it's at the conclusion of that correction that I think will provide another really pretty good buying opportunity, because my expectation is that we will see um, uh, the S&P rally well above 5,000. Uh, between the end of that correction and the end of 2022 um, for a number of reasons. If bond yields make a spike high, then they're going to spend months kind of treading sideways, which will be supportive of the market. Um, if I'm right, that inflation eases off as we get toward mid next year. The Fed may not have to raise rates as aggressively as people will be worried about in February and March so some of the fundamentals could turn uh more supportive just based on the changing perception of investors uh, between February March and call it May June um and that would be supportive of another fairly significant rally in the S&P but you know we'll take it one <laughs> one, one day step at a time yeah one day one step, day, one step at yep. a time you, you know you it. mentioned
2: one of the the big uh Spots that you're watching on the S&P is that four six seven five. You believe it's going to hold. What if we see a breakdown and we see markets cut through that? What would that mean?
3: Well, I think it opens the door then for the S&P to drop back down to 4,500. So it's pretty important, and that number basically is derived from looking at the the length of this recent rally. Uh, From 45.31, which was the low on December 20th, uh, to the high today, Um, and a 3.82 retracement comes in at about 46.70. And if you look at just the chart of the S and P, you can see a bunch of days during November and December where it was just trading above and below this 46.75 to 48, uh, uh, yeah, 46.75 to 4700. So there's just support there. If you take it out. Um, and given the technical weakness we've just talked about is some of the averages and other statistics, uh, that would be worrisome uh, to me. My assumption, it won't break. But if it does, then we're going to see, I think, the S&P drop back down closer to 4,500 before you get a rally. So uh, you've got to be careful. When the broad market is acting as weak as it has been, Um, That just raises the risk level. Now, the one thing I will say is this has been a a terrific year for some sectors that have done really, really well. At the same time, you have some sectors that haven't done anywhere near as well. So some of the weakness could be tax loss selling where people are booking some big gains. And they're looking for ways to offset some of those big games, so they, you know, D- does a- that
2: lead to? You know, we we've seen some of the, the stocks that have really gotten beaten up. Just one that comes to mind is like that was a, a darling, uh, a little over a year ago was Peloton. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the thing the stock's been cut by like seventy five percent for a host of reasons. Do you think that in in a case? In cases like those kind of stocks where you have huge losses, does that even lead to further losses at the end of the year because they're taking, you know, yeah. taking the loss as a write-off to offset gains they have elsewhere?
3: I think so. I mean, again, I think that's part of what's been going on the last handful of days, which always makes December a little tricky from a standpoint of how much of the uh, selling pressure is related to taxes as opposed to anything else of value. Um, but this weakness in the broad market has been going on for many months. So to me, is it exaggerated now because of tax loss selling? Very possibly. Um, but is it the full reason why the broad market has been so weak? No, because the broad market has been weak for months. So I'm going to take the numbers at face value. And, uh, again, my conclusion is the, the underpinnings of the market are much weaker than the new all-time high in the S&P would imply.
2: Yeah, we've been kind of focusing specifically as far as market levels on the S&P 500. Uh, Just at the airing of this broadcast, we're looking at the S&P at 47.86. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, looking at that level, we know kind of – where the you know the base below that at 44675 definitely don't want to breach that lower. So as you're looking at the market, the S&P at this time at at the current level, what's your play going at at the onset of 2022?
3: Well, first thing in the very short term as I described, I think the S&P is going to pull back towards 4720. So just from a pure trading standpoint, I would be looking uh, to go long about that price level in anticipation of a rally above today's highs, um, and more importantly, if uh, we break 46.75, that would be an indication to look to go short. And then, secondly, if the you know the expected pattern plays out, where we get a, a pullback to 47.20, and then we're going to rally towards 48.50 to 4900. Um, that's where I think the market is going to be much more vulnerable to the 10 to 15% move. So, you know, short term, it's like, okay, you got this opportunity, but the bigger trade I think is coming. If the market follows the, the pattern that I think is likely to, you know, what it has been following will continue is being able to look for the top in the market in the first part of 2022 in anticipation of a 10 to 15% pullback. That will be a much better place to look. To go short.
2: Very interesting. And then uh just in a couple other areas of the market, you know, we talked about stock market fundamentals. Yep. Um you and I, I know you're we've talked we talked gold and precious yep. metals. Uh let's talk about the GLD, the gold play here yep. real quick too, as we're heading yep. into twenty twenty two, since that's uh something we often discuss.
3: Yep. yep. Well, this area on gold of about eighteen fifteen, we'll call it has been kind of an important resistance, and today the gold got above it, got to about 1819, only to finish at 1805. I still think there's a pretty good shot, Andy, that we're going to see gold pop uh, to at least, which isn't much, 1835. Really more likely, I think it's going to make a move toward 1850. There's a downtrend line there. So I I think there's a quick uh, rally coming in the metals that take it up to resistance. And then that's really the do or die level. can it break out above that or not? and um you know backing into it in terms of the dollar, I think the dollar looks like it's going to pull back below ninety five fifty one uh, maybe towards ninety five we're not talking about a big pullback, but if it does pull back, that would take some of the pressure that I think the stronger dollar has put on gold, so that could be of uh, you know again a tailwind, turn it into a tailwind for gold. But ultimately, I think the dollar is going to make a move toward uh, 100 uh, next year. And, and that would be probably a headwind for gold. So I, I'm just looking at gold as a trading vehicle, um, which is really, I think, the only way to play gold because it has a fair amount of volatility. And uh, despite all this huge increase in inflation, uh, you know, gold topped last year at 2070 in August of last year. Well, inflation has gone nuts in the last six, eight months I, and gold that, has gotten to nineteen twenty, I think. So doesn't that, always track that stuff.
2: That surprises me. Uh that's the one area, I think we've talked about this before. Yep. I've talked about it with others. Um yep. gold really hasn't moved to the upside that you would assume under similar yep. conditions in the past. We've talked about maybe crypto taking some of the thunder. We've seen quite a bit of pullback in crypto off of uh, the highs uh, earlier in the fall. So, um, you know, we've talked about the plays in gold. We've talked about GLD. Uh, what's the other one? You use the miners too, right?
3: Yeah, GDX. GDX. Um, and it has to get above 32. If it can get above 32, a move to 35, I think we'll, it will follow. I wouldn't want to see it much below $30.50 and absolutely would not want to see it below 30 that's so GDX a, you're talking about. Yeah, GDX. So okay. we're at a place where, you know, gold and the gold stocks need to get some giddy up. Um, you know, it's like the table's set, but they they need to get over these resistance levels. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's been a disappointment. That was one area because I was, you know— I, I, I think
2: market. a lot of people would assume you start adding yeah. a ton of monetary supply—you know, loose money yeah. policy. You're adding a ton of money to the economy— uh, You know, the overall dollar supply and then to not see metals move at all, I think, is a surprise for a lot of people.
3: Yeah. But the one thing I will say is I was looking for an important bottom to form in the dollar in late May, early June, uh, completing a correction that began in January of 2017. So we're talking about something that took over four and a half years to kind of develop. Uh, and the dollar, in fact, did bottom in late May, June. Well, you look at GLD in late May, early June, GLD was trading at one, almost 179. So to me, one of the things that has really um, pressured gold uh, and then by proxy, the gold stocks is dollar strength. Uh, I thought that the inflation news was going to be, uh, you know, more persistent, not transitory, run hotter for longer that gold would respond to that. But instead, I think it's responded more to um, you know, the dollar, uh, the strength in the dollar. So um, you know, gold basically topped in early June, and it's been going sideways, chopping sideways ever since. And the dollar has been working its way higher from 89.50 uh, to almost 97.00. So, I think that explains an awful lot of it. Plus, I think, yeah, some speculative money that in the past might have gravitated toward gold on the news has gone to Bitcoin because of price action in Bitcoin.
2: Yeah, you I mean, know? as, as, because uh, a, a lot of times it's the same type of investor in some cases with the metals being a volatile, uh, a volatile, uh, commodity. Uh, it just makes sense that they would also be attracted to, uh, you know, the fast moving cryptos as well. As we wrap up today's gains podcast, um, what's your advice for the gains listener? And it could be in in any area uh, that we talk about uh, just going in the next year, whether it's investment philosophy, a move you got to make, what's your advice for our gains listeners and things that they should think about as we head into next year?
3: Well, the price of money is really, really important. And I think, again, looking at the 10- and 30-year Treasury yield, Andy, uh, and how they have been connected to uh, other markets, um, if I'm right and Treasury yields do move aggressively higher, um, it is going to have a a rippling effect throughout markets, obviously the bond market, but also equities, uh, potentially gold. And potentially Bitcoin. I mean, I, I could see Bitcoin trading back down towards the 42000 level um, uh, at some point in time in the first quarter. So I think that is, to me, that is the key, is watching Treasury yields because they've been so benign for so long that no one's paying attention. And sometimes <laughs> when life, I think when there was an old Grateful Dead lyric, when life looks like Easy Street, there's danger at your door. And I think people have gotten unbelievably complacent about the treasury yield uh, situation because they've remained dormant for so long in the face of higher inflation. And people then have extrapolated that to, oh, the bond market's telling me there's no inflation. You're out of your mind. There's a lot of inflation. It's just the supply demand dynamics have really kept treasury yields lower than they otherwise would have been. But that's about to change. And honestly, I don't hear anybody talking about this no so one me, and, and, me and me that's
2: that's why you got to listen to the Gaines podcast uh, you're <laughs> yeah, right <that's> Jim right. <laughs> you're you're right on the mark with this uh that's a golden nugget that we aren't hearing uh a lot of folks talk about as you you know listen yeah. across the financial shows uh you know read on from Bloomberg to Market watch CNBC we're not hearing a lot of that and that's good because it's yeah. the information that People aren't talking about often that you can exploit to make money. And explain that real quick as we wrap up.
3: Well, you know, if nine out of ten people know something, they've already done whatever they're going to do. So if they know things are good for the stock market, they put their money in. Um, The key then is identifying something that's going to change the equation so that that will then convince some of those nine people to begin to be sellers. And to me, you know, again, how do you get a 10 to 15 percent correction? Do you get two or three of those folks uh, to decide to lighten up and do some selling? And again, I think the trigger is going to be higher treasury yields in the first part of next year.
2: And if everybody is expecting something as well, um, <laughs> if everybody says something's going to happen, I, that's a guarantee that it will not happen.
3: Well, some I mean, it, we do have, I and mean, everyone was looking for a Christmas rally, and we are getting one, um, which, again, what I would say, Andy, which makes it always important. And this is why technical analysis has value, because you're right. The vast majority of time when everybody's expecting something, usually something different happens. But when those times come along where everybody's expecting it, and it does, in fact, hold, looking at and using technical analysis can identify. Uh, when something is uh, beginning and uh, manifesting, uh, even if it means that a lot of people are expecting it. And, uh, you know, to me, this rally this week is one of those times. The pattern suggested that we were going to see a rally towards 4800 uh, We got here much quicker than I expected, but we got here nonetheless. And it was just based on the technical pattern of the S&P uh, as opposed to really anything else. So uh, that is always going to be an ongoing message when we have our conversations, Andy, is if you're not looking at charts and learning about technical analysis, you're missing, uh, you know, maybe 40% of the big picture. You know, it's like you're looking at a circle. The fundamentals are a big part of that circle. Technical analysis is also a big part. And unless you're combining both of them, uh, and it may take five to 10 years uh, to get to be a level of proficiency, but um, I, I just think that that is so key and most people just overlook it. We're comfortable with fundamentals. It's what we know. Um, but the technical stuff provides, I think, key information. And again, this is a the treasury yield to me is the perfect example of fundamentals and technicals potentially joining. We're going to see a fundamental shift. The technicals, in terms of breaking out the levels that we talked about earlier, will be the signal that it's beginning.
2: It's and, it, it, You know, one other thing I'm just going to add on here, uh, when when you do start uh, looking at the technicals and, and seeing different levels on the chart. It's it's funny when the chart is then indicating that there's a reason to sell. It, it's really funny how all of a sudden that that reason <laughs> to sell pops up. Shows and it's up. like it tells no. the
3: future. It's crazy. Right. Well, here's the case. I've been talking about how the broad market is weaker than it looks on the surface. Uh, if you look at just the S&P – uh, and if a reason to sell shows up, it won't just be a 3% pullback is what people have gotten used to over the last year. It's going to be something more meaningful than that because the market is weaker internally, and it won't be able to absorb uh, even a small increase in selling pressure uh, as opposed to, hey, the technicals are really strong and in good shape. You, know, you just get a much shallower corrections when the underpinnings are healthy. And that, but that's not the case right now. So uh, it's going to be interesting. The next few months are going to be crazy. It's a transition away from extreme monetary combination, not just by the Fed. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Bank of England raised rates. ECB is talking about scaling back some of her covid uh, you know, accommodation in the first quarter. Uh, um, Many emerging market central banks have already raised rates. So we're really seeing the beginnings of the tide starting to go out, Andy. And I just think that increases volatility.
2: All right. Hey, thanks, Jim. I really appreciate all the great info there. And, um, you know, again, Jim Welsh, macro strategist, portfolio manager, uh, at Smart Portfolios in beautiful San Diego, California. His website, of course, is macrotides.com. Uh, we'll be sure to have you on uh, in the new year. Have a happy new year, and uh, we're definitely going to be watching that uh, those treasury yields <laughs> as, as we start things off. So uh, thanks again. Jim, anything else before we go?
3: No, other than happy new year, healthy new year. And, uh, uh next year we're going to have a lot of fun.
2: Oh, and, and we're going to both, uh, be talking about it throughout the year. All right. So, uh, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five star review on Apple podcasts. If that's an option, uh, always appreciate that. It's, it's from what I've been told podcast gold uh and then as always subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops we are back on thursday so that's going to wrap up our podcast and we will see you on thursday
1: a news radio wbbm podcast
2: powered by odyssey